Good morning, Grace Marietta. Today is the beginning of our summer sermon series, 2020 Vision for Life. Over the next few weeks, Ben and some of the other Grace Campus pastors will be leading us on a journey to discover our divine design. It will be a journey to discover the purpose God intended for our lives, a purpose that is unique, compelling, and transformational. My hope and my prayer is that we will each see the coming together, the convergence of God's calling with the convictions He has placed within our hearts. I hope and pray also that we will all see clearly the steps we can take to live out our divine design in a way that impacts our world significantly, meaningfully, and in a way that endures. The text each week will be taken from the book of Jeremiah, looking at examples from the life of a prophet who prophesied right before and during the time of exile, which was the lowest moment in Israel's history, a time period we've been considering over the past few weeks in our Stories from Exile series, where we were looking for wisdom and truth for our present-day experience, things to encourage us, to strengthen us, to help us stand, to, to endure and to walk well in this difficult and unusual season. As the book of Jeremiah begins, the nation of Israel, the people of God, once united in their own divine purpose, is already divided into two separate kingdoms. The northern kingdom, Israel, had already been destroyed, and its people scattered among the nations of the Assyrian Empire, which was the manifestation of God's judgment. Now the southern kingdom, Judah, is heading for similar judgment, and Jeremiah's task was to warn the unrepentant people of Judah that the day of God's reckoning was almost upon them. Today, I'm going to speak to you about the beginning of Jeremiah's personal journey, his journey to discovering his own divine design. Scripture describes that beginning in the following way, reading from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through to 10. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah in the 13th year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Jedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, I ordained you, a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build, and to plant. It's clear from the text that Jeremiah, a man who would later prophesy immense, powerful words, the very words of the Lord God Almighty, spoken to, to his day, spoken to the time of Jesus Christ, spoken also to our day and beyond, that same Jeremiah seems to have experienced some struggles getting underway. One of those struggles is this. The Lord says to Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 10, that he must see. But for Jeremiah to in fact see, his vision first has to become clear. His eyes, 
not his naturalized, but his spiritualized, his spiritual understanding, his ability to discern spiritually, to grasp, to apprehend, to lay hold of spiritual things had to be fine-tuned, tuned for things to come into focus. Can we speak about focus in terms of eyesight for a moment? Some of you, like me, don't have what is defined as 20-20 vision. As I understand it, a person with 20-20 vision can see what an average individual can see on an eye chart, which measures sharpness of vision when they're standing 20 feet away. If you have 20-30 vision, it means your vision is worse than average. 20 feet away, you can read letters most people can see from 30 feet. If you have 20-15 vision, you can read a line in the eye chart at 20 feet that the average person can only see when they are 15 feet away. The goal of glasses or contacts then is to bring a person's vision to 2020. Without these, without these glasses, the main issue for me is not being able to read text that's far away, not being able to see with precision what's far away. It doesn't mean I don't know that the, the blurry green thing in front of me is a tree or the stretched out gray thing is a road and the moving gray things on the stretched out gray thing are cars. And I promise you, I do drive with glasses on all the time. It's about seeing detail. Seeing with precision, not seeing vaguely, but seeing accurately, seeing more than just the blur. Now, some of you maybe, like me, remember 3D glasses, which were fun for a while to wear at amusement parks, in the movie theaters, and in our homes. And maybe you still have things like this at your home. Shark Boy and Lava Girl 3D. One of Nathaniel's and Catherine's favorites, as they would say, a classic, including in here somewhere, these 3D glasses, taped together, it would seem, um, with some kind of toothpick contraption working on both sides. Hmm. Whenever I was in the 3D movie, um, because I was curious, I would always take the 3D glasses off for a moment. Did you do that? If you did, you realize that for the full theatrical experience, for the blurred imagery you saw without the 3D glasses, for the colors, the, the movement, or for all of it to come together, to see vivid imagery with, with 3D depth perception and all the visual storytelling, you had to put the 3D glasses back on. Now here's a thought for you to consider. What if spiritually we are living life like people in need of eyeglasses to see? Or spiritually, we are like people in a 3D movie who aren't wearing the special 3D glasses. So we can't see what the whole picture is. It's dimensions, depth, and everything focused and in context, not a blur or any other lack of clarity or confusion, but really seeing, clearly seeing, with understanding. So we have the fullest possible life experience. Instead of living life that is subpar or suboptimal, that isn't everything life can be, everything life should be, something lesser, something that we settle for, something that we're content to dwell in. Why? Because we don't see what life is really meant to be. We don't realize that life is meant to be more, more abundant, more joyful, more hopeful, more fulfilling, more satisfying. 2020 vision for life means we realize our uniqueness, 
not uniqueness in a selfish way, not in a way that says we're the only one who matters because we're so unique, so one of a kind, so special that the, the rest of humanity exists just to recognize the same thing, to, to appreciate us, to tell us we're special, to feed our ego, to worship us, God forbid. I don't mean that kind of unique, uniqueness, which I regret to say is some of the modern-day understanding of what it means to be unique. Now, what, what I mean instead is this. 2020 Vision for Life means seeing, recognizing that each of us is a one-of-a-kind divine design. And by seeing that, we also see how our divine design points towards our divine destiny, which is the part we were designed to play in God's purpose, His plan, His will. 2020 Vision for Life means not seeing, to use the first of two familiar terms, in only a way that is nearsighted. Seeing only what's near to us, what we're facing right now, the obstacles, the, the challenges, even the opportunities that are, that are right here in front of us, but not seeing very well or at all what is beyond those immediate things, planning, executing, doing things, uh, being active, filling the calendar and the schedule up, but with no clear destination in sight, no longer-term perspective, no real goal or end game, and without ever reaching a certain answer to the crucial existential question, why am I here? What's the purpose of my life as God intended for it to be? 2020 vision for life also means not seeing in just a way that is farsighted, looking only into the distant future, dreaming only of the distant future, but not seeing very well those things that stand between that future and the present, dreaming but not planning or walking one step at a time, lacking diligence or self-control, talking about running marathons but never buying running shoes, speaking of changing the world or doing great kingdom deeds but never getting out of bed. What if we had perfect near and farsightedness with the immediate in balance with the distant, with what's right in front of us, what's proximate in balance with the horizon? And I'm inviting all of us to seek after that together. To help us do that, I want to spend some time with the text, the first 10 verses of Jeremiah chapter 1, and I'm going to make two observations that I hope are helpful. The, the, the first observation is this, our excuses don't matter. In verse 6, we see that Jeremiah protests, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I can't speak, for I am a youth. He tells the Lord that he is too young to go anywhere for him or to speak for him. But notice something, God doesn't dispute what Jeremiah says, because Jeremiah is young. Instead, God speaks a word greater than Jeremiah's excuse, greater than Jeremiah's protesting from verse 7, and I'm paraphrasing, you shall go anyway to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Yes, you're a youth, but so what? Our excuses don't matter. So what that you're too young? or that you think you're too old, or that you didn't go to Bible college, or to any college, or, or didn't finish high school, or that you're not connected enough, or that you don't think you're eloquent enough, like Moses, or that you feel too insignificant, like Gideon, or too sinful because of things you've done or said, like Isaiah, or that you've been distracted doing the exact opposite of the things God intends for you to do, as it was the case with the Apostle Paul, whose path went from persecuting Christians and Christ himself to realizing the perfect alignment for his life was to turn in the exact opposite direction and live his life for Christ. Our excuses don't matter. Why don't excuses matter? Here's my second observation about the text, because it's all about God. The beginning, the middle, and the end 
is all about God. It's all about God, every bit of it. Verse 2 speaks of Jeremiah, to whom the word of the Lord came. Verses 3 and 4 say the same thing. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Jeremiah didn't go after it. The word of the Lord came to him, sought him out, found him right where he was. I wonder what that sounded like. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Was it audible, loud, gentle, difficult to perceive? Did Jeremiah hear it all at one time or did he perhaps discern it over a period of time? Whatever it was, this is clear. Jeremiah had spiritual understanding. He perceived. He saw with spiritual sight, not with his natural eyes, but with eyes of faith that it was the Lord speaking to him. And he was clear what the Lord was saying. But God was the first mover. God began it. When did God begin it? At the time of exile? No, before that. When Jeremiah was a youth or a child? No, before that too. When Jeremiah was born? No, not even that late. The Lord tells Jeremiah in verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I intended you for my special purpose. That's how I designed you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. That was the divine design for Jeremiah, originated in eternity. And then in alignment with his design fashioned in eternity, God reaches into time. And verse 9 of Jeremiah, chapter 1, tells us he touches Jeremiah's mouth. He puts his words in Jeremiah's mouth and sets him, positions him in a place of authority over the nations and over the kingdoms with a unique task to pull out and to root out and to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. But that's not the whole of it. Earlier in verse 8, God also promises Jeremiah that he will be with him to deliver him so he should not be afraid, which is the clearest ever sign that there will be plenty of situations ahead to be afraid in and to be delivered from. Now, now, if the scripture is describing something exclusive to Jeremiah, then it's no use to us. But if instead, this isn't just about Jeremiah, if the same can be said of each of us, it means that somewhere in eternity, before the moment when eternity broke into time and you and I became who we are now, born at a particular time in history, born with a particular parentage and with particular siblings, born with particular ethnicity and history and heritage. Before all of those things, God knew us. We were in God's imagination, not inconsequentially, not randomly, but with full intentionality. God fully thought out how we would become his expression, his work of art, his poetic brilliance, his workmanship, his masterpieces. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 puts it, his one-of-a-kind design. That is who I am. That is who you are. God's one-of-a-kind design with unique characteristics, unique abilities and traits and, and experiences and, and passions, strengths, even, even perceivable weaknesses or, or limitations. But don't be concerned about what you think you can't do or can't be. What matters is the word of the Lord to you. What matters is God's pronouncement of possibility that is defining, freeing, living, powerful, transformative. Before he formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you, imagined you, designed you, formed you creatively, lovingly, perfectly. Every one of us, God's work of art, designed to do the good works he has prepared for each of us to do. Good works that matter. They matter to our families. They matter to our Christian brothers and sisters. And they matter greatly to our world that today is in desperate need. 
So will you pray with me for 2020 Vision for Life, for yourself and for each other, that you'll see clearly, that each of us will see clearly? And seeing clearly, will we trust God to lead us beyond all our excuses, whatever they may be, to the fullest realization of his design for us? In the movie Dead, Dead Poet Society, there is a moment when the character, played by Robin Williams, gathers together the group of students he is beginning to teach, who think he's a, a little strange and a, a lot weird. He's encouraging them to read poetry, to fall in love with poetry. Standing in a hall surrounded by photographs of students who attended the school before them, many of whom are now no longer living, he urges them to, to lean towards those photographs most of which are not in color, only black and white, because they're so old. And more than that, leaning in to look at those photographs, really look at them, and to listen closely, carefully, to hear what they whisper. And the phrase he then whispers to them, as the imaginary voice of each of the individuals pictured in the photographs, is this, carpe diem, carpe diem. It's a Latin phrase from ancient literature that means seize the day. Seize the day. Take hold of it. In our day, do and be something extraordinary. If today the Holy Spirit were to do for us what the teacher did for those students, if he were to say, lean in, listen closely, hear the whisper of those who went before us, Abraham, Sarah, Samson, Deborah, Samuel, King David, Queen Esther, uh, Jeremiah, Daniel, Mary, James, Peter, John, the Apostle Paul, then, then onwards through history, whispering to us, St. Augustine, Thomas Beckett, Joan of Arc, uh, Brother Lawrence, Harriet Tubman, William Seymour, Charles Finney, Watchman Nee, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr. Would we hear them say to us, seize the day, take hold of it, do and be something extraordinary in your day, in our day, urging us to recognize that we were created for such a time as this, which is our divine design and our divine purpose coming together. So will you start on a journey over the next few weeks, God willing, to see with 2020 vision for your life? Not just those of us who are at Grace Marietta, but the whole family of Grace Churches in Athens, Snellville, Monroe, Washington, D.C., Lanier, New Hope, and Midtown. And in closing, I'm going to pray a prayer for us all. God, open our eyes that we may see clearly, spiritually, supernaturally, who you are and who you made us to be. And by seeing this, by your goodness and your grace, May we live in the fullness of your divine design and our divine destiny. In the power of your Holy Spirit and for your glory, Heavenly Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. If you're willing to commit to the journey, simply say after me, yes, Lord. Speak to me. Cause me to see and lead me. Amen.